Hi there, a quick note before the episode begins. Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, bienvenidos and welcome to Miha on the Mic, where me, Miha, interviews daughters of immigrants who are making moves in their industries around the world. Today, I'm excited to invite award-winning podcast host of Masala Podcast and founder of South Asian Feminist Podcast Network, Soul Sutras, Sangeeta Pillai. I'm so, so excited to have her here today. Um, there's so much to talk about. Thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure, Laurie. Um, I think when I bumped into you a couple of weeks ago, I felt like there was such a connection and with such kindred spirits. We're operating in these two different cultures and we're talking about migration and daughters and women. I think it's my Asian kind of belief system, but I feel like these things are meant to be and I think we were meant to meet. Yeah, definitely. I was so excited to chat with you and I, having already been a fan of your show when I was first starting out as a podcaster and as a Latina creator, I was always looking for creators like myself who were talking about their communities. And so when I found your show, I was like, wow, this is, this is what we need, right? And it was great because even though you're in the UK and I grew up in the US, I noticed so many similarities in our experiences. So thank you for making that show and for teaching folks both inside and outside your community about your experience. And so for those of you who don't know Sangeeta, I would love for you to share a little bit about your cultural history. Tell our listeners about your family background and maybe a little bit about your relationship with your culture personally. So I am South Asian. So South Asian is a generic term for anybody that comes from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka. So those who are growing up in those countries and also the diaspora that's migrated. So I am from India. I spent most of my adult life in India and moved to the UK about 18 years ago. So I think of myself as Indian and British and whatever else gets added to that mix. Very traditional family. I was the first girl in my family to go to university. I was the first girl in my family to get a job. I grew up in a quite a poor family. We were like from the slums of Mumbai. And in terms of the culture, my relationship with my culture was very difficult one because I was told that as a girl, the only available options or choices to me were to marry somebody who would look after me and be nice to me. And that was it. Like that was the extent of the ambition that I was allowed. And I kind of grew up really questioning. I don't even know where it comes from. People always ask me, like, where does the, the activism come from? I think I was just born with it. And I was challenging my family from a very young age to say, I don't like this. Why are you telling me this? Like so much, my God, I can't, we could do a whole three hours on this. It would be like, girls should behave like this. Girls' voices should be like this. You can't talk 
too loudly. You can't walk too loudly. You can't say anything in a, in a public gathering. You've got to be polite to all your elders. You've got to blah, blah, blah. You've got to learn to cook. You've got to dress modestly. There's a million rules and I broke every one of them. So, <laughs> so it didn't go down too well with the family. But I feel like it was an important part of me becoming who I've become. And now I've taken the bits of the culture that suit me, that work for me as the woman that I am. And I have said no to the other bits of the culture that do not work for me. And I think it's such an old historic culture. Like traditionally, if you look back, we go back thousands and thousands of years. There is so much good and there's so much feminism and female power and shakti within the culture that I think patriarchies kind of made us forget about. So I'm reclaiming that. That's my relationship with, with South Asian culture today. That's incredible. And can I ask how old you were when you came to the UK? Uh, so 18 years ago, what was I kind of, so I'm 50 now. I've just turned 50 this year. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I feel like it's an amazing age. And that's another thing I want to talk to you about, like ageism. Like it's really, really important. So I was like 30 something, I think when I moved. Okay. So you were an adult and you had, you were questioning this stuff even before you came to the Western world where feminism is more prevalent and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah. You were feminist before feminism was feminist. I didn't know the word feminism, Laurie. Like I, I talked what about did you this. Call it? I didn't know. It was just me. Me being me, Sangeeta being Sangeeta. Like I didn't know there was such a concept as feminism because India in the 80s was very limited. We had like two magazines, two TV channels. Nobody talked about these things and the world was just exactly how it was. So I only learned about the word feminism in my 30s, I think. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what I've always been. I've been a feminist, except I didn't know it was that word existed. <laughs> Do you have a, a memory of something that, like something in particular that you fought really actively against when you were a kid or, or growing up? Yeah, I guess one of the most important fights that I've led in my life is the fight to not be married off. So a lot of girls in South Asian culture, even now, will say yes to an arranged marriage. And for some people it works. For me, I knew it wouldn't. So I started very young to say, but why should that be? For example, I, I had this dream of like traveling around the world. And for someone like me, like we were so poor, you know, it was like this impossible dream that would never happen. And I talked to my mother and said, you know, one day I'd love to have enough money to go to Europe and to go to America and things like that. And my mother would say, oh, well, you just have to find a husband who has a job who allows him to travel then. Because that was the extent of ambition for girls, you know. So I started pushing back at this idea of marriage from the age of 18. And those days, like the CVs of men would appear. Like, I don't know why you wanted a CV. Like it was not like applying for a job or something. But the CVs would appear on the desk. And I would say, no, 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 I'm not doing any of this. And so it was applying for a husband? Husband position in my life. I'm like, sorry, husband position in my life. The, the role doesn't exist. And it became so bad that uh, the neighbors would ask my mother, oh, what's happening? What's wrong with your daughter? She's not getting married. There must be something wrong with her. My mother allowed this, this guy to come home without telling me, right? This, this man turned up. And traditionally, girls wear their saris, and they wear jewelry, and they were all this beautiful stuff, right? And I came out of my pajamas because in my head, I'm like, well, I'll show you. You want to get married to me? Like, you better be ready to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was my big rebellion at that time. So I remember that as a big, big, big um, thing that I fought against from the age of probably 15, 16 till the time I left home when I was 29, which is very, very old. 
like in India in that time, girls didn't leave home. So there's a, there's a saying that either your bridal um, procession leaves your house or your funeral procession leaves your house as a woman. Yeah. <gasps> oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit of the culture that I come from. And when you came to the UK, you were already an adult. And was there anything that kind of shocked you and, and maybe, I don't know, either maybe validated your feelings from before? So much, actually. And coming to the UK was amazing because here I could build myself. I could become the person that I was meant to be, right? Nobody would tell you, you can't do this or can't wear that or can't whatever. So that was great. But what really surprised me is with the work I do, I work with a lot of South Asian women because they are the ones who listen to my podcast or come to my workshops or events. This cultural conditioning is so deeply embedded. Like women who are lawyers and making millions of pounds will still go by the same kind of cultural codes. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter who you are. Are you married? Have you got children? Have you got a family? These are the kind of things. And that's so deeply embedded in our collective consciousness as women, I think, that we don't even realize we're doing it. On the outside, it's such a liberal society. You can be who you want to be. You can have sex with as many people as you want. You don't have to get married. You can do whatever you like, right? It's a very liberal society. But even within that, within the South Asian women that I'm speaking to, I see the same conditioning that I have in my own kind of 1980s India, very, very traditional setup. So on the outside, it doesn't matter how modern or evolved you are. On the inside, in our own heads, it's the same code that's running. And you have to like, as a South Asian woman, and I'm sure it's the same in your culture, consciously stand up and say, ah, why am I thinking this? Why am I saying this? Why am I feeling this? Because that's been taught to me by my family and their parents and their parents is very, very old. Does this serve me? Is the question I always ask myself. And I've got this voice still, you know, in my head. I'm like, oh my God. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, all these people have families and I don't have a family. And I'm like, okay, so where's that voice coming from? That's my mother's voice. It's her mother's voice. It's her grandmother's voice. And then start to really question, like, is that really me? And sometimes like, no, that's not me. So, you know, that's where the learning is. That's incredible. I think it's so interesting that you've also been able to create dialogue around it because so much of what happens in our communities that are related to cultural traditions like that, it just, you don't end up talking about it. You just do it. There's no questioning. There's, you get married, you have kids, you have a family, you are going to be the one that does all the dishes and, you know, takes care of the babies and no one is going to, you know, be there for you because that's your role as a woman and that's it. So I'd love to hear about, you know, how you've grown your show and your, and your network and, and maybe an anecdote if you can share from your listeners, because I'm sure, you know, you've, you've connected with so many women that have had this experience of questioning. And it's something that, you know, we're, we're aiming to do with our show as well. And so I would love to hear about the way that you've interacted with your listeners about the same topics. Before I start, I want to show you my necklace. But this says bad beti, which is bad daughter in Hindi. And I proudly claim this because we're told as South Asian women that we have to be good daughters all the time. A good daughter does this. A good daughter doesn't answer back. A good daughter gets married. A good daughter has children. There's so many things, right? So by claiming that I'm a bad daughter, I am standing up for all the bad daughters in the world. And it doesn't mean you're a bad daughter and you're disrespectful to your parents, but it just means somebody who follows their own voice and their own heart. I say this because this is a key part of how I've grown the show and the community. So Masala Podcast started 
four and a half years ago as an idea in my head. And I was running workshops for South Asian women. I was teaching them on how to talk about taboos in the culture. So all the work I do is around sex, periods, mental health, all the shit we're not allowed to talk about. You're not allowed to talk about this. So I'm going to talk about it, right? That's kind of what I started doing. And then I was after a bigger medium to talk to the, because I could really see it resonating with my community. Then someone sent me a competition from Spotify who were trying to find more women of color podcasters. And I sent a pitch, three-line pitch, I still remember, without ever thinking that they'd ever get back to me. I heard back, I got a call the next week. Uh, then I got put into the podcasting boot camp for women of color. I won that competition, got a bit of money, and that's how Masala Podcast started. And it started with kind of me really not knowing anything. I'm not from the audio industry. I'm not a podcaster. I don't know anybody at the BBC. So a lot of it was just trusting that what I had to say had a lot of value, that what I had to say would resonate with my audience, my sisters, my South Asian sisters. So season one happened and it all happened very, very intuitively and organically. I didn't sit down and think, right, what's the vision for the show? It was just like, I want to talk to women from my culture. I want to talk about these taboos and I want to share my own personal experiences. So each episode, I will interview a South Asian woman who works in that space. Uh, for example, mental health, say a therapist who's a South Asian therapist or, or somebody who works in the sexuality space. And then I talk about my experiences growing up in India, coming to the UK, navigating these two cultures, learning how to balance, like which bits of me are what. I talk about crying. I talk about all sorts of things that are very vulnerable. So I think women hear me and they say, oh, wow, I feel that too. I recognize that. I feel blessed when I say this to you, like almost every day, every other day I get a message or an email or a DM or people will find out who I am and write to me. And the messages are stuff like, thanks to you, I feel less alone in the world. Thanks to you, I've kind of made peace with my culture a little bit more or I feel more connected to it. Um, I have women from India, like 18 year olds from India finding me and writing to me. I've got British women, I've got American women, I've got, you know, like, it's just crazy. And one of the most beautiful stories was recently, the most recent one was I was in India traveling. And I go back every couple of, like, you know, for a couple of months every year. This girl wrote to me on Instagram. She said, oh, are you in my city? Because she could see where I was, Kochi, which is in the south of India. And I said, yes. And she said, oh, I would love to meet you for a coffee because I'm a huge fan of Masala podcast. So we met and she sat across the table and she said, you know, I love your podcast. And it's really changed my life. And I'm like, that's quite big. And she said, I was uh, married off, I had an arranged marriage to this guy. And he was gay, but he was too scared to come out to his family. Family married him off thinking marriage will fix it, which happens in our culture a lot. And he refused to kind of have sex with her or have any relationship with her. She went to his family and said, look, this is what's happening. And they said, well, that's your fault. You obviously can't keep him. He then got so stressed that he forced himself on her. She got pregnant. She lost the baby. So there was a lot of trauma. And she said, all through it, I kept listening to your podcast. I listened to the same episodes over and over again. And one day I walked out. Isn't that incredible? I just sat there, had tears in my eyes. To me, like, that's why I do this. And I, see, I say this to people, like, I will do this till my dying breath. If there's no money, I'll do this. I'll find a way to make it, you know, happen. Whatever it takes is what I will do to keep this podcast going because it's that important 
to the women in my community. To me also, there's no kind of secret sauce or recipe for how I've grown it. It's just, this is how it's happened for me. That's incredible. It's something that blows you away when you hear stories like that. I'm curious, what is the most taboo topic that you've ever talked about on the show? Uh, I would have to say, I, I'd interviewed a South Asian porn star. <laughs> She's a Muslim South Asian porn star. And um, it's quite a, you know, some of the topics are quite serious that I do, but this one was quite fun and funny because she talks about, um, she's on a, one of those chat lines, you know, the ones you have, like the sex lines. She was on it. And the call that came through was her mother, who didn't know she was a porn star. Oh and my like, God. Cut the call, cut the call. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, all right. So, just coming to, we're going to come to the end of this. So I would love to hear um, something about your family. So a lot of the time as daughters of immigrants, people who inspired us the most are people in our families. Is there anyone that you connected with a lot growing up? Actually, I'm sorry to say my family, I have a, quite a difficult relationship with them. And my journey has been to make a life outside of my family. I have had zero family kind of support or love, or anything. And to form my identity, I had to come away. And my people ask what my inspiration is. My inspiration is myself. Like nobody mentored me, nobody inspired me, nobody did any of those things. I had to do it all for myself. That's interesting. I think um, one of the people that I've interviewed in the past, they said that they're, they think of themselves as being the roots so that they don't feel that disconnect. If they don't have a relationship with their family, they are the roots. They are the that connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to become your own roots. And I think this is the important. It's really hard. There's a lot of pain. You know, I'm smiling and I'm talking to you, but there's been a lot of pain in my life. But I've had to learn to be my own family, to be my own roots, to be my own support system, because that's the only person you can rely on 100%. You come into this world alone and you die alone. And you have to have that relationship with yourself has to be the strongest relationship you can make it. That's beautiful. I want to ask you if you could share an anecdote that represents a cultural kind of the blends that you live in every day. If you can share a moment. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. So I, you know, like I was saying to you, like I am Indian first, then I've become British and now those parts of my identity are kind of mixed. And I love that. And I love, I feel like I was never entirely comfortable just being Indian either. So, you know, this kind of melange of cultures really, really suits me. So I'll, you know, like whether it's cooking, like last night I was watching uh, Country Files, which is such a British thing to do on a Sunday afternoon. It's people going up hills and looking at sheep and farming and, you know, to making scones and drinking tea. And at the same time, I'm making my Kerala fish curry in my kitchen on a Sunday afternoon. Like, I love the food of my culture. Like, I don't know if it's the same for you. Like, Indians get very excited. So I've got this, like, very specific Kerala fish curry recipe, which has coconut, which has um, turmeric, coconut, coriander, and I blend it, and I put tamarind, which is a very, very Keralan uh, ingredient as well. And I'm cooking it and I'm watching Country File yesterday. And it's like one of those, like, I kind of chuckled to myself and I said, my God, I love my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's a perfect moment. Yeah, I love that. So just to wrap up the interview, I'm going to ask you some quick questions and you can just answer as, as naturally as you find it. Don't think too much. Okay. 
So first one is, what language do you swear in when you touch a hot plate? <laughs> Hindi. Oh, funny enough. Sometimes Hindi, sometimes English. Okay. What's your favorite, favorite food? Ooh, um, what I said, prawn curry, Kerala prawn curry and red rice. Oh, that sounds delicious. I, I want to come over for dinner next time. I'm Please do. I'll cook Please. to you. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Um, all right. So what is a song that you've had in your head this week? <laughs> Megan Trainer. I look good in my Versace dress. No, no, no. But <laughs> the TikTok one? Yeah. The. I mean, she's she's been in charge of many TikToks. Yes, yes, yes. And I love it because it's all about like, I could wear, come out in my, you know, jammies and I'd still look good is, is the message. So I keep playing it to myself. Like, you know, I don't care about the, it's not the Versace dress. It's me. That's fucking Yeah. Cool. It's, it's giving Sangeeta in her pajamas coming out and saying, I don't want to marry yeah. you to the guy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's I it. I love that. Um, what's your last Google search that you are comfortable sharing? <laughs> I think I was looking, what was I looking for yesterday? Uh, this is going to sound so domestic, right? blackout curtains for my windows because the sun's really high right now so I, I, I wake up like I love the sunshine but <laughs> four in the morning it wakes me up so I look for blackout curtains on Google very nice um, and finally what is your most embarrassing dream take it as you will that question <laughs> do we all have sex dreams about our friends I don't know I always I ha- like I always have like and I don't fancy them but somehow like I'm I don't know, in some like compromising position with a friend in my dreams. I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. And we'll close with that. Thank you so much for your time, Sangeeta. Tell us where we can find you and where we can find your show. So if you Google Masala Podcast, you can find me on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter as Soul Sutras, S-O-U-L-S-U-T-R-A-S. And that's also the name of my website, soulsutras.co.uk. And Masala Podcast, like Google me and you'll find me and come say hello. Amazing. And one last question. Can you give us advice to mihas who are scared to take the leap and start kind of being their most authentic selves? What would you give them as an advice? So my advice would be to start small. So when we take big, scary steps, it's terrifying. But think of that big step as a hundred little steps. So whether that's next time someone says something that you don't feel comfortable with, piping up and saying, actually, you know what, that makes me uncomfortable. Asking for something you need in your life with your family, with your partner, when you're like, oh, can I ask, ask, you know? So small, lots of mini, 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 mini steps. And then before you know it, you've got a revolution. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. This is Miha on the Mic, a season of reflection on our shared experiences as daughters of immigrants. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be sharing stories like these and inviting guests to share theirs. Follow us on Instagram at Miha Podcast, that's M-I-J-A Podcast, and leave us a note if you like this story. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. This is a production of Studio Ochenta, a Latina-owned multilingual podcast studio dedicated to raising voices across cultures. For more from Studio Ochenta, follow us at Ochenta Podcasts on Instagram. That's O-C-H-E-N-T-A podcast with an S on Instagram. P.S. Don't forget this season is also about you. If you have a story you'd like to share or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, I invite you to reach out on Instagram at Miha Podcast and leave us a message with a short story or memory of yours that warms your heart. We'll read it out loud on the show. Hasta pronto. Ciao.
Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French.